0: Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller.
1: My guest is Janet Vogel, the Department of Health and Human Services Acting Chief Information Security Officer. Janet, welcome to the program.
0: Thank you so much.
1: We're talking today about health sector cybersecurity. There's a lot going on. And, in fact, you maybe even have a little bit of news you can share. So let's start with the latest. The Cyber Operations Center is something that you guys have put together over the years. And, and give me an update. What's going on?
0: The Health C- Sector Cybersecurity Coordination Center, or the uh, acronym we, we say is HC3, is up and running, and it actively interprets cyber threats based on intelligence that we gather, and it communicates with external health sector stakeholders. We talk about cybersecurity threats, and we put that in a manner that can be easily understood. The information shared by the HC3 can be immediately applied by healthcare organizations.
1: The HC3 is a new organization, but it kind of sort of replaces the H-Kick, which was something you guys at HHS had launched uh, about 18 months ago, give or take. So give me a sense, how is the HC3 different than the H-Kick, and is the H-Kick even still around?
0: What was originally known as the H-Kick has matured a lot. And during this last year, which has been our startup period, there are at least three changes that, that I want to note here. First, we shifted the focus to be on external healthcare communications. And second, we incorporated a lot of lessons learned. And third, we actually changed the name of the organization. So, as we work with stakeholders to evolve this concept, we heard a need to focus on external sector functions. This led to a shift in our focus, which helped us clarify our customer base. As originally conceived, the HKIC was viewed as a health sector focused organization similar to the National Cyber Incident Center or NKIC, which is sponsored by Department of Homeland Security. So our HHS HKIC had both external sector coordination and internal security functions. The focus uh, on the national health sector led us to rename this organization to Health Sector Cybersecurity Coordination Center, or HC3. And we also hope that the name change will eliminate any confusion with the NCIC, which is run by our partners at DHS. So, HC3 also includes the federal health collaboration missions that we conduct with Veterans Administration and Defense Health Administration. And part of our evolution is based on our experience during the WannaCry incident. Through that experience, we learned that HHS can come together as an organization to combat health sector threats and effectively handle national cybersecurity incidents. We demonstrated the ability to link internal analysis and findings with external communications to protect the health sector. That experience also provided us with lessons learned on how to improve our efforts. And as a result, we improved our operating procedures, outreach capabilities. We built positive relationships with the health sector organizations such as HISAC and HITRUST. And we even became a little bit more efficient in cybersecurity analytics and our response methods.
1: So there's several differences there. The kick initially was – Focus, you said, internally and externally and was providing a lot of these same capabilities or they are providing maybe at a higher level capabilities or even at a lower level? What's the difference in terms of the capabilities then?
0: When I look at our cybersecurity capabilities for HHS, we take care of our operating divisions and internal functionality for cybersecurity. We also have a responsibility to work with the public health care sector and other federal partners. So we do have an operational component that focuses on the internal HHS capabilities. And then our HC3 takes that information and makes it useful for the public health sector in their terminology. So they translate that information from speak and cybersecurity language into something that is immediately applicable by a healthcare organization to protect their own systems.
1: And what about your role? Are you running both the internal side of HHS Cyber, but also the HC3, or are you more of a dotted line to the HC3?
0: The HC3 is a part of our operational organization, our cybersecurity operations. And that is run out of the CISO office, so they are together, which provides them the ability to link their specific expertise to produce something that's useful in multiple different environments by different types of stakeholders and customers.
1: From your perspective, you also, I know, work with the uh, Assistant Secretary for Preparedness. W- where do they fit in into the organizational changes that have happened around HC3 and HKIC?
0: The Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response has the authority as the sector specific agency to communicate out on all kinds of emergencies. And so our cybersecurity arm is like their subject matter expert for anything related to cybersecurity and the healthcare sector specifically
1: when you talk about the hc3 now when you go to your stakeholders and, and when you talk with you know go through DHS and work with them from a partnership level and DHA and VA do they understand how the this evolution has happened with the hc3 from the H
0: well throughout the previous months we've been meeting with them on a regular basis we've shared our ideas and for example the name change that was very well received and we've kept them up to date on the types of things we're We're doing what we're looking at. Uh, Our reporting to them has improved. We've built our relationships for communication, which expedites any kind of transfer of information and helps all of our partners react just in case there is a threat that comes up.
1: Janet, as you described the new role of the HC3 and and, and the role hopefully it will play and the partnership it has with the external stakeholders and and government partners – If there's a breach, and I should never say if, I should say when there's a breach, because we know there will be a breach eventually. There's always hacks and attacks and and threats and vulnerabilities. What role would HC3 play, whether it's in the government side or the the private sector side? How would HC3 help inside the sector to ensure that that risk or that mitigation happens as quickly as possible?
0: Well, if something like that happens, the operating division and HHS would – initially recognize some anomalous behavior and begin researching to find out is this a a real incident or or not? And they would do some initial analysis. When they have found out enough information, they immediately uh, notify our Center for Incident Response. That engages another level of research analysis and together they determine what path to take from there. Now if it is something that's going to affect the healthcare sector, the HC3 would jump in be able to help translate the information and the threat and help get that information out across the nation. We'd notify the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response. We'll send the notifications to Department of Homeland Security and get that in a a nice, concise communication to be sent out with some instructions on how to handle it, what this would mean to them, and what to expect next.
1: And currently, the way the HG three is set up, are you ready to do that? If, if again, if something happens tomorrow, happens next week, you you, you know, generally speaking, I know you're still early in the in the process, but you're able to communicate today.
0: Yes, that's how we operate today. When we have been involved in several of those circumstances, and we're ready at any time if that happens again.
1: So it sounds to me like you're partnering with DoD, the Defense Health Agency, and the Veterans Affairs Department on the sharing of data, and then looking at what you're seeing, looking at what maybe some external stakeholders are seeing, like hospitals and and healthcare providers, and then also what DoD and VA are seeing, and then the, all of that is going to be shared with the your quote unquote customers. So maybe talk a little bit about how that process is working or will work.
0: We are able to network across the healthcare sector both the federal partners that we have and the private sector partners that we have to share information. This gives us a strengthening in our ability to hunt and to track threats. We also share information across the entire network that we've built. That allows us to begin the analysis of that data sooner. It also allows us to share what a potential impact could be. So if we've seen something that we share, others may say, oh, that really isn't going to impact us, thanks. And others may say, oh, no, that's really our business. We need to get on that. So it expedites our ability to get to the heart of the matter and then start addressing it. We're really, really working hard to continue that partnership and strengthen it as we go forward. So as as you know, the health care and public health sector continues to be a prime target for cyber. And all of the bad actors out there, they want to steal data, extract a ransom payment, and possibly cause damage to sector operations. The cost of these breaches now continues to rise, and it's reached over $400 per health record in 2018. So there's an important need for improved cybersecurity protection and partnerships, and that's some of what we're trying to achieve through the HC3.
1: Janet, it sounds like there's a combination here of DOD and VA and and external stakeholders. So maybe talk a little bit about how the HC3 floor or the watch center is set up. Is it similar to what the Homeland Security Department does with their NKIC, Or are you guys looking at maybe more of a virtual setup?
0: Yes, it's similar to Department of Homeland Security. We have a floor that allows representatives from other organizations to come and sit with us, which provides great insight as to what they're looking for, so that sharing of information really enriches the knowledge and the skills of our own staff. So they sit together, we do incident response, we do information sharing from there, and we also uh, have a forensics team that works, that allows us as they work together to leverage that knowledge and actually enhances our leverageability across the staff and also with our partner organizations.
1: And what kind of people are on your watch floor? Do you have, for instance, like internal partners to the government, FBI, DHS, along with DOD and VA, but also with some of the larger healthcare providers or associations or or how does it
0: work? To start with, we're just housing HHS employees. We've just started we do have plans in place to bring in our other partners. So internally, we have representatives that can be on the floor from the Office of the Inspector General, from other security-type functions. They all have space that they're able to come to. We also have accommodations where we can bring in representatives from other agencies and also from private sector health care organizations that represent the healthcare sector in in a real medical kind of way so that that helps us interpret some of the information that we get and then also translate it so that our customers get the information that they need to make their own healthcare organization more secure.
1: One of the things about the HC3 and the Healthcare Threat Operations Center generally is the capability side of it. Can you talk a little bit about what kind of capabilities are there today and then maybe what would come in the future as well?
0: Through our network that we've built, we have a view of over 1.2 million endpoints or computers across the country. So we have a pretty broad view of what's going on in the cyber world. We watch specifically for any anomalies in behavior. And if there are alerts that we see, we'll be able to dig into those and look at the cause and see. It, sometimes we have just anomalous activity Other times, as we've tracked that down, we found that there really is a bad actor behind it, and that triggers a whole other sequence of events.
1: When you talk about the the sharing and you talk about the capabilities, again, I know there may be some sensitivities here, but can you talk a little bit about how that process works? You guys are getting data in, but you're also pushing data out.
0: We work closely with the Office of the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response. They are the face for the sector-specific activities for health across the federal government. They assist us in reaching out to all of the potential entities that might need this information. We typically share information almost weekly or on a biweekly basis because we've seen something that if we're sharing our information about a threat, let's just say it's a patch that has a vulnerability, we can share that with a healthcare organization, they can implement a change right away and that will help them prevent any kind of cyber incident. We're on 24 seven and we know they can't all be. One of our most important constituent areas is medium-sized health organizations so if there's a group or a group of hospitals f- that provide healthcare they often are a target for ransomware we try and make sure that we're addressing their needs in their language so we have to translate what we see in cyber world and security terms into medical terms so that they can implement it for their systems and their applications. That's one of the tricks we've got to work on. We want to get better at, but we're so cyber-focused, we want to make sure that it can be used by anybody. One of our efforts is really focused on how do you apply cybersecurity, all of these tips that we have, how do you apply that at home? So being cybersecure at home is just as important as at work, because that could be an entree into your work environment. So we're trying to make sure that it's very understandable and very applicable.
1: Let's take a quick break. My guest is Janet Vogel, the Department of Health and Human Services Acting Chief Information Security Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jason Miller. My guest is Janet Vogel, the Acting Chief Information Security Officer at the Department of Health and Human Services. It sounds like when you're sharing information, are you right now sharing unclassified information, and is it mostly by a secure email, or how are you sharing information, generally speaking?
0: So our sharing of information is through our secure email activity with listservs of multiple organizations and users. And what we're hoping to do is that by getting the word out that we're very active in this area, more people will join so that we can share this information with more and more people. That'll help us scale up. And the information we're sharing is unclassified, so it can be used by just about anybody.
1: And I think that was one of the big challenges we've seen with other information sharing around cyber threat is it was either classified information or somebody needed to have a clearance of sorts. And we all know that the challenge of getting clearances, do you foresee staying at the unclassified level, at least for the near term, and possibly moving to a classified level? Or what's, again, the long-term and short-term visions?
0: So right now we share information at the unclassified level, and we don't have plans to go to the classified level. There are lots of mechanisms and avenues for that, and as that's appropriate, that will be used. We think also that sharing in an unclassified environment really improves our protection, so that gets everybody on board. I, I believe that cybersecurity is somewhat of a team sport, and we are all on the same team. So by sharing more information, getting the word out there, sharing the vulnerabilities and threats that we see, more people can actually be safer and protect their business by taking advantage of the tips that we send.
1: Sounds like it's one-way information sharing right now. Do you expect it to be two-way eventually, or can it be two-way right now?
0: So right now it's two-way between all of our partners, our federal partners and the private sector partners. We all share what we're seeing on a regular basis. The two ways between the recipients and us, we would love to make that more two-way so that we can get their feedback on a more regular basis. What could happen is if there is an approach that we're using for a threat, a lot of times the bad actors will detect that and they'll change their methodology. So the sooner we know that, the sooner we can share the information and everybody can shift to protect themselves from the new approach. We know we're going to have to be ready to react quickly to multiple types of attacks from multiple venues. We see that sometimes in the past it was a single bad actor with a single target. We expect that's going to change over time. That's going to grow where there are groups of attackers and they're coming from multiple avenues at the same time. We want to prepare for that by practicing what we do. We, we have tabletop exercises. We train. We test each other. We have competitive learning opportunities and really practice what we don't know so that we're prepared in case something comes up that we haven't seen before, which is pretty routine for cybersecurity these days.
1: I think most things are you don't know. I mean, if you know something, <laughs> then you're probably protected against it. For the most part, we hope. One of the things that occurs to me during our entire conversation is the internal efforts. Now you're the acting chief information security officer for HHS, so you kind of have a foot in both areas, if you will. One foot to to work with your external partners, but you also have an internal set internal group, you know, you you work closely with NIH, and, and they do medical, you know, healthcare work. So how, how do you take what you're doing with the HC3 and move that into your internal efforts to protect HHS networks and data?
0: So the information that we learn is shared with the operating divisions for HHS on a regular basis. We do have daily connections with the operating divisions, and sometimes we have new threat information to share, and sometimes we don't. We have a constant communication with all of our immediate partners within the office of the secretary. So we're working on scaling that also. And as I mentioned before, as a team, we're working to prepare for anything that's going to come down the line. Some of our partners include internal oversight organizations, and they are looking, for example, the Office of the Inspector General. They're looking for opportunities for vulnerabilities, and what they produce actually helps us learn and prepare for the future. We take what they find, we apply it, and we're better prepared. They come back and check, did you improve, yes or no, and then we put that into our game plan. So that's in our playbook. We practice it and we're ready to move on. So we find help from a lot of different sources. The um, GAO has done audits for us and found some areas for our improvement. We actually welcome that. That really does help us. And then we can coordinate the lessons learned from an OPTIVE or a particular audit so that it's shared across all the operating divisions. We want to make sure that if we learn a lesson in one place, we share that with the others so that we're all working together.
1: Looking forward, when you want to measure the success of H3C initiative and operations center, what are some of those metrics? How do you know that you're down the right path that you know, six months from now, a year from now, if we have this discussion, what's going to tell you that, hey, this is being effective?
0: What we hope to do in the future is to get a feedback loop where we actually send information out and then people can tell us did that help or didn't it? What could we do better? One of the things that we're currently doing is we're watching for the results after we identify information. And one example where we believe was a strong, we had a strong influence in the outcome is there was an individual who was arrested for being a bad actor and hacking. So that's one indication that our input was useful and we felt very, our efforts were very successful. So we learned about a situation, started researching it, shared what we learned with local law enforcement. We got the individuals involved that needed to be, and as a result, an individual was apprehended. And is now in jail. So we count that as one of our successes.
1: And I know talking from others in the community, for instance, when I talked to DHS about the WannaCry event, for instance, that was a success for the federal government because people were stopped. From your perspective, the lessons learned issues, whether it's WannaCry or whether it's the most recent healthcare.gov challenge with, with breach, how do those lessons learned also play into your future efforts? Uh, as, as a way both from a metrics perspective, but also from a sharing and, and security perspective?
0: So WannaCry really did help us in a few ways. One way is it really proved that as an agency, we could come together and respond in an area that could have impacted the entire country. So it proved to us that we can do it. It also helped us realize that there's a difference between our internal communications and our external communications. That helped us focus the work of the HC3 on the external partners so that we're able to more easily communicate and get them ready for any potential threat. We did see an advantage there. We were very fortunate and We're just happy that nothing has happened
1: since. All right, Janet, this has been a fascinating conversation. I'm sure we could talk longer, but I see that we're just about out of time. So let me thank my guest. Janet Vogel is the Department of Health and Human Services, acting chief information security officer. Janet, thank you so much for your time today.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
1: We have to take a break. In the next part of the show, we hear from Lania Jones, the deputy CIO of the intelligence community. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jason Miller. My guest is Linaya Jones, the deputy CIO of the intelligence community. Jones sat down with reporters after a speech at a recent conference sponsored by the Professional Services Council. Can you offer a little bit more about AIM and and kind of the goals of AIM from an AI perspective. I know you went through the three use cases, which is great.
2: So I talked about AIM, automating intelligence using machine learning, and it is a relatively new concept. Um, it is just getting off the ground. We're partnering with a few of the intelligence agencies, such as NSA, uh, with ODNI, to help create processes for machines to do manual and more rudimentary processes, right? So not to look at machines as, of course, a decision maker, but helping us to automate the way of doing business. Because of the amount of data and information, we need new ways of using uh, machines in order to be able to achieve the speed and agility to be able to provide info. And so with automated intelligence, how I talked about the human uh, language technologies, that's one way of essentially using processes, using the machine learning for uh, repeating data and information, for them to be able to help us with triage and getting through the massive amounts of data, and then looking at us as individuals to oversee and kind of provide that clearinghouse for it the curation of the data. So
1: is it a set of capabilities? Is it a set of technologies? Is it more or less you're looking at the processes or is it all of the above? It's
2: all of the above, right? So it's not limited from infrastructure, from the way the infrastructure is set up, from leveraging the cloud computing and elastic and big data uh, abilities of the cloud and technologies. It's also looking at the tools and applications and how the operators, the technologists, whomever the customer is, is using the information. It's a multi-layered an inclusive approach. So it's not just when you speak of AIM, it's the, a concept, it's a vision, it's an idea, it's a way of doing business.
1: Another question was about whether there's a program office for AIM and a specific contract vehicle ODNI is using.
2: Right now, no, there's not. It's not a uh, program in of itself. With AIM, AIM being a concept, a vision, a way forward doing business, because it's not its own program different agencies are leveraging kind of the thoughts and philosophies and processes differently, right? So that's why I was hesitant. It's not a program, but of course different agencies may leverage aspects of artificial intelligence machine learning in order to accomplish maybe their mission, core mission imperative as to what they're responsible for. So it's looking at what your, your mission goals are, what you're trying to achieve, and then can you use automated intelligence, can you use AIM or this philosophy or processes, a way of doing business in order to improve that? Can any efficiencies be gained? Can we use that in order to further and push the, the envelope further?
1: So the idea, it's almost like a JIE where we're going to give you a broad set of concepts and we want you to fit in under it. And if NRO develops a capability, maybe that capability would go under AIM, but NSA could then also borrow from it. Right. And so it's a way of saying, hey, as you invest in AI, let us know and then we can share that.
2: Absolutely. hands down. It's a partnership, right? So with AIM, for instance, we're partnering within the architectural division to leverage the reference architectures. So that would enable that whatever they set up is compliant and shareable amongst the other agencies and shareable amongst, you know, not even just the customers, but it's not a stovepipe solution. So when you look at some of the challenges we've had in the past with the stovepipes and information sharing. We don't want to create environment with that happens again where people aren't sharing the data and information. So in everything we do, we're always looking at how can we collaborate, how can we integrate, how can we work together, how can we team, how can we better work this problem or these issues uh, together so that way we don't create the same problems. If you don't, we'll repeat the same history again. And so AIM, you could say it's Agile, you know, it's ongoing, it's developing. We're partnering with industry, as I mentioned, say as big data analytics and cloud computing capabilities. We're also partnering with academia. Um, Many of the agencies have programs that are looking at with local universities, but it's, it's not just one size fits all, and it'll be ongoing. As the technology matures, I think we will also mature and get better and, and be able to do more with the uh, environments. There are some agencies that are looking to build and maybe leverage tools and applications of AI, and then there are some uh, problem sets that could be leveraging completely commercial solutions. It really more so depends on the problem set. Um, like you mentioned about um, you know NSA and HLT, you know some of that is uh, create in-house, but there's also partnerships that could leverage commercial solutions. And I, I don't think that that'll stay one way. It'll just depend on what's best to solve the problem at the time.
1: Another question focused on how ODNI is addressing the workforce and culture changes that AI brings.
2: For sure, so that's an interesting question, especially if you look at the generations. You know, I think it's, a. Uh, Edit that says that now millennials actually outnumber the amount of baby boomers that are in the workforce, and so with that, technology is integrated into much of what we do. If you look at how we live and operate, you know we're on our phones. There's smart homes, smart cars, leveraging our GPS, the social media interaction. So with that, of course, there's cultural changes within the IC of how the tools that we use, the application, where we use the data information. I spoke about mobility. That's very big? How can we become more mobile and more agile? Um, Just even simple, something as simple as looking at the traffic patterns and how we commute, you know, how can we make better use of telecommunications and networking and technology in order to be able to engage in virtual meetings as opposed to everyone going to the same place at the same time.
1: Then a reporter asked about applying artificial intelligence technologies across different mission areas, while also ensuring that they meet a set of IT standards.
2: It's not a one-size-fits-all, and um, in the past when we mentioned the mantra of the first epic of Eyesight was doing common what's commonly done, it was more looked at as that was going to be a one-size-fits-all. But what started to happen was we vary in our sizes and our shape and our mission set so early on there were challenges of you know not everyone may need huge you know multi-tier business solution for a small amount of people i think what that has done as far as moving the way that we're providing the technology is being more open and flexible and agile to our approaches and the solutions that we're working to provide right and it also gives the flexibility of some of the agencies to adapt and maybe leverage solutions that other agencies have provided. And so we're not repeating the same thing, you know, they're like, hey, if a solution comes into play, maybe these agencies can use it and they don't have to spend the time, money and energy to create an entire new solution for their architecture. They could just implement it and be part of the, uh, the solution.
1: We have to take a break. My guest is Lanaya Jones, the deputy CIO of the intelligence community. Jones sat down with reporters after a speech at a recent conference sponsored by the Professional Services Council. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jason Miller. My guest is Lanaya Jones, the deputy CIO of the intelligence community. Jones sat down with reporters after a speech at a recent conference sponsored by the Professional Services Council. Shifting away from AIM, Jones was asked about the IC's cloud program with Amazon Web Services.
2: Leveraging the cloud has been a great partnership. That was the first time that we had such a large. If we, if we step back the five years ago, when we first adopted with C2S, it was a very new way of doing business. We hadn't been as integrated with a commercial provider um, on the top secret fabric, you know, on premises um, such as that, and um, if ever, and so. It's been a a great journey so far. I mean, we've been able to leverage uh, the commercial industry, you know, partner with, say, Amazon, also Microsoft, many agents, excuse me, many vendors. But to bring in new ideas, new concepts, new ways of doing business, leverage their lessons learned, as well as helping with the tools, the applications, um, gaining more parity to what's available on the commercial realm. That was completely new to us, you know. Um, that was new, that we didn't have to develop everything, that we didn't have to have our only software developers and engineers to create the solutions. So, I see that going on and just being more fruitful and beneficial for both of us um, because it's allowing us to focus on other challenges, other problems, and they're helping us to meet a need, and they're able to move at a, a pace that we weren't able to move at, as far as pr- you know, providing compute, providing uh, hardware, providing, uh, you know, the storage capabilities at a much greater rapid pace than the government is able to move at. That's one of our tenets, too, is acquisition agility, is trying to move the way that we acquire and leverage products, services, solutions in a more rapid pace because we don't want that to be a stovepipe or inhibit us from being able to move to provide, I should say, a more robust technology enterprise.
1: Jones then discussed the challenge of using different cloud services and how the IC measures the impact of the cloud on different mission areas.
2: So because we're partnering with such you know large vendors like that, and you mentioned about the different environments we must ensure that the solutions are complementary. We don't want them to be competing against one another, but we want them to work together, right? So, they have different areas. You know, you have the Elastic Computer C2S, and then with IC GovCloud, you have the big data analytics and the data taking capabilities, right? So, their leverage, we leverage the different technologies, Um, For different purposes and because of that they work together and complement each other. So with Microsoft, I spoke of Office 365 and those capabilities that will just work together with, you know, whether it be um, the other vendors, if you would, in those environments, but they're aware, we're aware. It's all, it's a partnership. We do have, of course, metrics and data. It's Amazon Web Services. So uh, we have utilization metrics. um, We have adoption metrics. We have metrics for what um, storage and computer, just about anything, everything you can think of, as well as what new technologies are being requested. So there's ways and forms for customers to request. There's, you know, they have, of course, um, sync sessions if you would, however you want to talk about it, um, to be able to say, hey, is this going to be available on the cloud and when, and what's the possibility of that based off of what's available in the commercial realm? But yes. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Anything more on Epic Two that you can share from in terms of an update? What what's what what, what do we expect in you know 2019 and fiscal 2019? About anything that?
2: So the big thing now are the reference architectures. Um, you may have heard in, at Dotus um, at previous um, engagements. Um, my boss John, the CIO, talks about the collaboration reference architecture. So we've made great headway with that. That's kind of the one foundational first pillars with that. So that's been one of the big things. The other big two areas are probably the data services in our icam reference architecture that digital uh, credential access management piece so those are also gaining a lot of momentum in those are focus areas because those are foundational concepts that we need to uh, muster, if you would, and have in place in order to provide other capabilities. So I would say first and foremost, the CRA has been phenomenal. Um, the Architecture Division, uh, Dr. Cynthia Mendoza is the chief of that group. They have been providing awesome uh, direction on that. and partnering with the intelligence community across the board all 17 agencies engage meeting development and setting that in place and so now that's more of the implementation phase and so that's moving along
1: that's all the time we have for today you just heard from lanaya jones the deputy cio of the intelligence community earlier in the show you're from janet vogel the acting chief information security officer at the department of health and human services I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network.
0: You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.